church building with our toilets becoming flooded due to downpour outside, and we've had to ask the congregation to go home. So you're having the sermon on live stream only today, and I entitled what I was going to share, and I'm going to share, Living in the Promises of God. Quite rightly, we as Christians rejoice in the promises that God has contained in His Word for us, and we believe quite correctly that He is true to His promises and will always answer and always respond to what He's promised in His Word. Sadly, this has sometimes led to a, a mindset which has people treating God a little bit like a vending machine where all we have to do is insert an application or a request which has a biblical connotation somewhere which refers to a promise and instantly God will respond with what we want in the timing that we want. And sadly, because that isn't the case, when people are taught that kind of, of lifestyle and, and prayer style, it leads to disillusionment and unhappiness amongst people. So today we're going to look at some of God's promises and how we respond to them and how we are supposed to respond to them. And I want to start by reading a passage of Scripture from Joshua chapter 11, sorry, Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. It says this, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, so far, this is an incredibly powerful promise, an incredibly encouraging promise that, that Joshua has received. And God is saying that He will honor an ancient promise that He made to Abraham to give the people their own country. But then it goes on and it says some more things. It doesn't stop there. God continues talking. He says, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. First thing I want to point out is when someone says to be courageous, there's normally a reason to be courageous. Um, I've used this example before, but when I was a young lad of about five years old, I was bouncing on the bed at home near Cape Town and bounced off the bed onto a, a plank of wood that my brother had left on the floor with a nail protruding from it and nailed the piece of wood to my foot. I can't remember the doctor taking the piece of wood out, but I can remember him giving me an injection. Injections in those days were delivered by a syringe which was stained with steel and rather large, not the nice slim plastic ones we have nowadays. And I remember him saying to me, bend over the bed and be brave. I found out a few seconds later why he said be brave, because the injection hurt more than the nail going through my foot. And I learned at a young age that when someone says be courageous, there's a reason why they're saying it. God says be courageous. He also says this, be careful to obey the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or do not turn to it from the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. It's interesting to me that God has so much... I wouldn't call it a disclaimer, but so much encouragement to be strong and be courageous and to persist and to be obedient to follow up the greatest promise that He ever made, the covenant 
that He started with mankind through Abraham. And what He's saying is, there is a promise for you. I have every intention of fulfilling my part of the covenant. I have every ability to fulfill my part of the covenant. But you have a part to play. You need to walk in the path and the way that I've told you to go and do things in the way that I've told you to do them. Now, if you continue in the book of Joshua, which is a fascinating book to study, you'll find that the children of Israel didn't do exactly what God said. They did their version of it. God said, for example, that they should not let any of the nations that lived in the country stay behind. They should either drive them out or kill them. And they started off very well with the city of Jericho with a great victory, and they destroyed everything in Jericho, and God blessed them. But as they go forward over the months and years that followed in the conquest of, of the Promised Land, they come across tribes that are resistant, they come across tribes that trick them, they come across groups of people that make life difficult for them, and they compromise, and they leave several of these tribes behind until God says to them at, at one point, now I will no longer drive these people out. They haven't walked in the fullness of the promise of God, and they never fully received the promise that He gave them. For many years through the book of Judges and the book of Kings, Israel has a very up-and-down existence. They will have a king who leads them to follow God and be obedient, and while they do that, things will go well. Then that king or leader will, not king, that leader, that judge will die, and Israel will very soon fall away into worshiping the idols of the, the tribes around them, and God will withdraw His blessing from them. They'll be conquered they'll be oppressed, they will cry to God, and again He will bring up somebody who will raise up to, to deliver them and to help them out, and they will be free for a while. And this goes up and down for hundreds of years, through the time of the judges and the time of the kings, because God has said to them, if you don't follow your part of the covenant, I don't follow my part of the covenant. And this culminates in the time that we read about in, in the book of Daniel, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, in the third year of the reign of Jerusalem, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles of the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylon and put the treasure house and put the treasure in the house of his God. The ultimate agony for Israel is that eventually God says, because you've not honored your side of the covenant, I withdraw my covering of you completely, and I allow someone else to invade this promised land and take it from you. And so Nebuchadnezzar comes, and he takes the land from them. He takes the control from them, and importantly, he takes their leadership away from Jerusalem, and he takes them to Babylon. Now, in the tradition of having a verse to fit our request, one of the most popular verses that is used when people are praying and asking God to bless them is Jeremiah 29, verse 11, which says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you home and a future. That's an incredible promise. But we need to look at the context, because it's the context of what we've just been talking about that this is written in. Um, what has happened is the leadership of Israel has been taken to Babylon. There have been a couple of incursions by the Babylonians, and eventually they take the leadership away. And the prophet Isaiah, Jeremiah is in Jerusalem, and he sends a message to the leadership of Israel that are now in exile in Babylon, and he says this to them. Listen carefully. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. 
Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Israel has been invaded. The leadership has been carried off, and their prayers would very clearly have been, God, deliver us from this. We want our country back. We want to go back to Jerusalem as soon as we can. You can defeat these people. And they pray, and God sends a message via Jeremiah that says to them, right now, you're going to stay where you are. Right now, you're going to stay where you are, and you need to dig in and prosper in that place. Not only do you need to dig in and prosper as yourselves, but you need to pray for the Babylonians and the city of Babylon that you're in, because if it prospers, you will prosper. It's not the kind of response to the prayer that they might want. And then he says this. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed in Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to you and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. Here's the scripture we quoted. declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. In 70 years' time, 70 years of staying under the capture of the Babylonians, 70 years of having the, the, the Jewish leadership not in Jerusalem, but in Babylon. For 70 years, God is going to allow that same reprimand to stay with them. And then he says this, then you will call on me and come to pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find you when you seek me with all of your heart. The concept that we might have at this verse says that God has a plan and a purpose for us and all I have to do is pray a prayer and quote Jeremiah and immediately God will in my time scale and according to my specifications do what I want is an erroneous one. We need to look at the context the promises are given. And God says he does have a plan and purpose for Israel. His heart is towards them. But it's not going to happen when they want it to happen. It's not going to happen immediately, and it's not going to happen how they want it to happen. They have 70 years, and in those 70 years, he wants them to be fruitful towards themselves and towards the Babylonians. He doesn't say for 70 years, moan and groan and walk around with a face like thunder because I haven't answered your prayers and curse the Babylonians and be rebels. He actually says to them that false prophets will rise up amongst you and try and lead you into rebellion. He says, but I'm saying to you, prosper where you are. And in 70 years' time, I will have my plan and purpose worked out. I will bring you back to the promised land. So, sometimes it's the times of exile that form us and change us into people who truly seek God and find Him. And not just people who produce a scripture for a token for the God vending machine. Sometimes God needs to move the hearts of kings and nations before we see the answers to our prayers. We don't know why God's timing was what it was. But 70 years was what he needed for Israel to change its heart to the place that he wanted and for the the kings and and the leaders of Babylon to be the people that he wanted them to be until the time that things would move. And for that time, he says, wait, and wait well, wait productively, wait effectively. Now, does that mean that the promises of Scripture are not relevant? Of course not. But they are there to remind us of the power and love that our Father has to build our faith in his knowledge and goodness. They're not there to twist his arms. So when we find all these scriptures of promises, and I love it when people have a list of scriptures with promises in the Bible, and they read them out, and they say, God says, I will do this, I will do this, I will do this, and I will do this. It's encouraging for us. But we need to realize that God will do what God's plan is in our lives, not what our plan is in our lives. 
I get the choice to walk with God or to walk away from God. If I'm walking somewhere far away from where God wants me to be, He goes with me, but my plans and purposes stay on the path that He set for me. I believe God has a plan for my life. I believe He has a purpose for my life. I believe that there are things laid out that are blessings and challenges in my life ahead of me. I have a choice as to whether I walk in those plans, whether I follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit and do what God is calling me to do, or whether I wander off doing my own thing, in which case God does not desert me, but the blessings and the promises that are in the path that He's chosen will not necessarily manifest in my life. So for us to just take a scripture out of context and use it as a way to try and twist God's arm to give me what I want, when I want it, and how I want it, is not scriptural, it's not correct. And to just have a look at this, I just want to look at three of the promises that we often refer to in our Christian walk and see what the context was of them. First one is a scripture that we find, and it's often used by people in times of financial need, and it's correctly used in that way. But Philippians 4 verse 19 says, And my God will meet all your needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. What's the context? Well, let's read back a little bit. Paul is writing to the Philippians, and at this point he's saying to them, thank you for the gift that you have sent me. He says to them, thank you that you have involved yourself in helping me. But he says, I don't rely on your giving because God does supply me. But he says this, rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know that it, what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty, and I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether fed or hungry. And there he uses the scripture which is often misquoted, I can do all things through Christ and strengthen me. I can do all these things. Often again used as somebody saying whenever they want to do something, I can do anything I like through Christ who strengthens me. No, I can't. I can do what God wants me to do and what God calls me to do through God who strengthens me. And Paul uses that scripture saying, I thank you for the gift that you've given, but I've not been reliant on you because I've learned to have a lot and I've learned to have a little and I've learned that God can work in all those situations and I've learned that I can do all things. And then he goes on to say, not that I desire your gifts, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. I've received full payment. I've had more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Aphrodite the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to the Lord. And then he says, and my God will meet all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. He says to them at the beginning of this, the reason I've desired your gifts is not so much because I need them because God will look after me and I've learned to be with and without, irrespective of what people give me. But he says, I desire your gifts that it be accredited to your account. He wants them to be part of God's plan of giving and sharing. God says, what we sow is what we will reap. God says, given it will be given to you. He's saying, he's pleased that they've given him this blessing because that opens the way for God to bless them more. And he's saying, my God will supply all your needs because my God honors what he does in terms of giving and receiving. It's not just a case of anybody can say at any time, I need a new car, God will give it immediately. Sometimes there's a, a situation where God doesn't want to do that, where God has a different plan for you. If we just use the scripture as a token for the vending machine, we've got it out of context. It needs to be read in the context that Paul placed it. 
1 Corinthians 12 verses 8 and 9 say this, these three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Paul's talking about an ailment or a challenge that he had, and we're talking about grace in this particular scripture. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, we quite often quote, my grace is, is sufficient for you. We sing songs about it. Your grace is enough more than I need. Let your mercy fall on me. And it's true, God's grace is sufficient for us. But we sometimes do that in, God, I want grace and I want it now for a short while until you give me what I actually want. Paul is saying that actually he's been asking for something three times. This is a man who understood God's heart like few people. This is a man of faith like few people. And he says, I have a thorn in my flesh. I have something that torments me. And on three occasions, I've gone pleading before God to say, will you take this thing away from me? And God has said no. That's really quite challenging. God has said, I will give you the ability to go through this. I will give you the grace to suffer through this and still be okay and still be with me. But he hasn't said, I will just take it away. And he says, therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest in me. When we use a scripture out of context, I have enough grace for anything. We need to understand that that grace came through suffering, came through challenge. And then finally, one of the promises that we need to take into context comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 to 34. So do not say, do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Again, it's a wonderful promise that we have. Don't worry. Your Father knows what you need. And it's true. He doesn't say that we mustn't worry because we don't need these things. He says your Father knows what you need, and he's aware of it, and he will supply. But he says... Don't get things back to front. Seek first the kingdom of God. It's not just a promise of provision. It's an, an encouragement and a, an, an injunction and, and a, a command to say, I'm not going to worry about these things. First of all, I'm going to concern myself about what God wants to happen in my life and what God wants me to do in my life. If I do that, I needn't worry about the other things because my God will supply all my needs. The promises and blessings of God lie along the path that he has planned for us, not just where we randomly want them to take place. I think what I've tried to say, and I'm going to come to an end of the short sermon in these strange circumstances in an empty auditorium. Um, the point I'm trying to make is that God's promises are yes and amen. He doesn't promise a single thing that he doesn't fulfill. We make a mistake when we take promises out of context and use a single scripture in any place that we wanted to fit and put it in and expect God to respond immediately with what we want. Instead, instead of looking for God's hand of provision, we need to look for our relationship with God. If I'm walking in a close relationship with God, I will know what to ask for, I will know when to ask for it, and He will supply it. Jesus had every single prayer that He prayed answered. When He was on the earth, He operated in the same faith that we have to. And every single prayer that Jesus ever prayed, His Father answered, whether it was miraculous healing or deliverance, God always responded when Jesus prayed. Why? Because Jesus says very clearly, I only do the things my Father says. If I want to see God's promises manifesting in my life, I need to be walking in God's path. I need to be in that relationship with Him where those things are happening. If I go off at a tangent doing my own thing, I cannot claim God's promises to bless my plan. I can claim God's promises to bless the plan that He has made.
It's an ongoing relationship, not in using Scripture as those tokens that I spoke about. It's not earned by works, but it's released through relationship. And I've just written as my final closing statement, learn to know the giver more than the gifts. It's been a bit strange preaching here this morning. I've found myself speeding up and rushing along to an empty, well, almost empty auditorium. Thank you to the three ladies who've encouraged me down the front here. But I hope that I've got the gist of what we wanted to share across to you this morning. God's promises are fantastic. And it is good to have lists of promises that He made and to remind ourselves. But it's very good to understand the context in which those promises were made and the expectation that He has that these things are fulfilled when we're walking in His plan and His purpose, not fulfilled for our own gratification. Let's pray together. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the many promises in Your Word. Thank you that they are true and that You fulfill every single one of them. But help us, Lord, to understand where we need to position ourselves to receive those promises and how we need to respond to see the fulfillment of those promises. Thank you for the examples we have from your word. Thank you for the encouragement we have in your word. Amen. God bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. And we look forward to having both our online uh, friends and the congregation back next week with our floods fixed and everything back in place. So God bless you. Amen.